Welcome to our Beef Educator Series podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Ryan Larson. I'm here with Drs. Matt Garcia and Eric Thacker. I'm the farm management specialist. Dr. Eric Thacker is our range specialist. Dr. Matt Garcia is our beef specialist. Today we're going to be focusing on uh, range genetics and the subsequent impact on, on body condition scores. So how all of those intertwine and bringing in a little bit about economics and the economic impact of each one of those. So let's start, uh, Dr. Garcia, let's start. What, when we say body condition score, can you give us an overview of body condition score and, and, and why we care? Well, I think, I think body condition score, first of all, is just a measure, in layman's terms, just a measure of fatness of those cows. You know, how much fat they got, you know, covering bones, you know, what, what, what degree of, of fat or nutrient status they're in. Now, the reason we care about it is especially in a range situation, you know, we're, we're operating in a system a lot of times of, of limited resources. So if you're seeing these, these huge fluctuations in body condition score where you have cows at one time of the year that are very fat, and then other times of the year that are very skinny, you know, it can tell you some things about your range. It can tell you some things about the genetics you have out there and how compatible they are. But it's also going to influence us, you know, from an economic standpoint and trying to keep those types of cows in the system. But it's also going to affect the, the productivity of those cows because we tend to see that, that, that body condition score fluctuate during specific time points. Uh, we'll tend to see those cows get you know, increased body condition score, they should be increasing body condition score, you know, during the months that, that we're feeding them, that they're not really producing, uh, you know, those, those periods of time where they're either in early gestation or, you know, they're getting high quality feed. And then we tend to see that body condition score drop quite a bit after those cows calve, you know, because their nutrient status or their nutrient requirements go up because lactation is the highest energy requirement we put on them. And then you combine that with the type of range they're on, you know, where they have this high energy requirement, they're raising a the calf, they're lactating. But now, you know, the quality of the range, the quantity of the range is going to influence how well they maintain their body condition score or whether they're going to lose a bunch of body condition score. Now, the reason that's important is when they lose that body condition score, you know, we're also asking them to rebreed. So we need to keep them in the system. So if we're having these huge fluctuations in body condition score, not only, you know, my, what, do we need to look at our range, we need to look at our genetics, but, you know, it's going to impact us economically because we're going to have to supplement those animals at a different level than our other animals that are able to maintain body condition score a little bit better in that system. So, you know, in finance, we try and reduce the variability, mm -hmm. right, those fluctuations. And I think with body condition score, what I'm hearing is, you would expect those to fluctuate. Yes, you, you would want it to fluctuate, but you don't want it to be extreme fluctuations. So you want to moderate those fluctuations, right? right? You want to minimize the risk of those fluctuations. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Thacker, when you think about minimizing the risk of those, what does range have to do with, with this? Well, I, I think the challenge is, is you're trying to moderate risk in a, in a highly variable climate, meaning you're trying to maintain this stable or relatively stable body condition score, which leads to stable economics for the ranch operation, but you're doing that in a system that, that's highly variable, meaning you can go from, you know, severe drought to an extremely wet year or, you know, piggyback multiple dry years or multiple wet years on, on 
to the back end of each other. And so the challenge for a producer is how you mitigate those fluctuations that are inherent on your rangeland without making, you know, having negative impacts on, on your cattle. And so I think that's <clears throat> one of the things that I've, we've tried to communicate is that your cattle can actually give you an indication of what's happening on your rangeland. In order for your rangeland to remain healthy, that means that you're allowing, uh, that your grazing's not detrimental to the overall condition of the range, which means it will recover coming out of those drought years. So <clears throat> when you see a cow come in in the fall and she's lost a body condition score or two, then that, that gives you some indication of what your range looks like. Assuming the other factors of your body condition score um, that Matt talked about, you know, with genetics and nutrition are accounted for, you know, you've got cows that are matched to your system, um, you know, you're, you've got a good parasite control program. And if you're still seeing that loss of body condition score in the fall, then that gives you an indication that maybe the, the problem is your rangeland. And so this is where we would advocate that you could look at that cow and make some assumptions about what may be happening on your rangeland. Because if she has lost a body condition score over the past few months that she's been out on the range through the summertime, what it really boils down to is you either have poor forage quality or you have poor forage quantity, meaning either the quality is not good enough to maintain the metabolic conditions in order for her to maintain herself, or there's just simply not enough feed for, for the cow to maintain herself and the calf. And so when you're faced with those two dilemmas, you know, there's there's only a couple of options. Well, there's, there's a lot of options, but they really boil down to either moderating stocking rates, meaning even though you've got a cow that's matched for the system, um, you know, and your the other parts of your operation are functioning well, it may be an indication that you've just flat got too many animals on your range, which then is an indication of they're running out of food to eat, which is a is a problem which can have economic consequences and can consequences to the health of the cow. The second thing that's a little more subtle is the forage quality. Uh, as we talked about in the previous <coughs> podcast, you know, our forage quality is is there's a pretty narrow window where we have relatively high forage quality and then it declines pretty rapidly um, as we trail through the summer. And so I think the more subtle thing is sometimes we can have deficiencies in forage quality um, that we may not be accounting for. And so to mitigate those, you may have to look at range improvement projects, which can also improve your forage quantity. Um, but you may also look like diversifying your forage base to increase quality or um, you may have to look at supplemental feeding, which you have to be careful with that because while it can be effective, it also brings up your costs. And so then your overhead costs start factoring in. But those are those are some real simple ways to start thinking about how you might address those low body condition scores that you may be seeing if they're in fact due to rangeland. And I think you hit something on the head there that I think a lot of us forget about. From a genetic standpoint, we're always trying to match cattle what amounts to our, our best rain situation, you know? And so we're, we're trying to match those cattle and we're saying, okay, we have these low input type cattle, these low input type genetics, but the resource still needs to be there for those cattle. You know, if the resource isn't there to bring out that genetic predisposition, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, kind of what you said, whether it, during the, those great wet years where we have a lot of grass, we see that genetic predisposition come out very well. You know, we have fat cows, we have big calves, but then on those drought years, and especially when you start piggybacking it, from a genetic standpoint, you find out which cows 
really are adapted to that system the best because they're the ones that tend to stay in it a little bit longer. But once again, you tend to see even if you're, you're really having a good genetic program there, you know, if the resource isn't there, even with low input type cows, you're going to see that you're, you're not going to see that genetic predisposition. So the range side of it is an extremely important component of this puzzle to really bring those genetics out. Dr. Thacker, when you talk about range improvement, you know, you travel around the Intermountain West quite a, I mean, what are some of the common practices because there's costs involved to, to doing that. So what have, what have you seen? Yeah, so the caveat I always give before giving advice on range improvements is they're generally expensive. Um, depending on how heavy-handed those treatments are, you know, means more, more fuel and fuel costs money. So, you know, a, a very traditional approach was to, you know, to till and seed kind of a agronomic approach is we'll repra- replace that native vegetation with um, some introduced or improved grasses um, that will improve the forage quality or quantity available. But it's important to kind of balance that with the cost because you can, you know, get yourself into a situation where you're paying over $100 an acre for these improvements and then you have to balance it out. Well, I see enough improvement in production to offset that hundred acre, you know, hundred dollar an acre cost. It it takes a lot of rangeland in the Intermountain West to produce a pound of beef, and so um, you know, if it's costing hundred dollars an acre, can you produce enough additional beef to really pay for those improvements? That's that's a decision you'd have to make. You know, really looking at your numbers. Um, so you've got treatments that are a little more heavy handed like that that are more transformative in that you're completely turning the system over but they do come with risks because the inherent uh, variable climates that we live in you know those do fail and so you might till and seed and enter a drought year like we're entering this year and you may not they may not be successful and so you'll find yourself repeating that treatment again so if you have a a range that's in pretty good condition I generally advocate for smaller changes in management that can improve the productivity. That can include longer bouts of rest, um, maybe some changes in the, the season in which you're using the rangeland. Um, and again, stocking rate is oftentimes, or controlling the grazing is often one of our most effective and cheapest alternatives to improving range condition is by making sure our, our grazing practices are adequate. You know, that you're implementing adequate rest so that your grasses can recover and become vigorous. Um, We'll talk about this in other podcasts, but the way you manage your grass can have major impacts on the productivity of that system moving forward. And so while those improvements can be quite dramatic and some operations have shown them to be very profitable, I think you have to kind of go in with eyes wide open to make sure you're making good sound ecological and economic decisions about those range improvements. Yeah, there's a fine line to balance both the economic side and the ecological side of of those decisions. It's not a one-sided decision. No, and I think there's often, (coughs) I shouldn't say often, there's sometimes an approach that we can manage our way out of a a bad situation. And in some cases that's true, meaning, uh, you know, you may have cows coming in and poor body condition score and your response is, well, I can go plant more grass. Well, if the costs become prohibitive, then it, it may not be sustainable even if you do produce additional grass. On top of that, um, 
doing seeding treatments on rangeland can be kind of a risky venture depending on you know what elevation you're at what your precipitation's at as a general rule once you drop below 12 inches of precipitation annual precipitation <coughs> it gets pretty hard it's it's far more risky um, if you're above 12 inches you, you might say that three out of five years you'd be successful in establishing a seeding if you're below 12 inches it may only be you know two years out of five that you'd be able to establish so you have to factor in that risk you know often our, our best approach is to better manage our animals than to try to manage the landscape and i mean i would argue too that if you have a an animal that's coming in every year with these huge fluctuations in body condition score and you're still making these range improvements that i would argue that animal isn't a, isn't compatible with your system because if she if she does it the first year she does it the second year she's going to constantly doing that be doing that so she's going to be an animal from an economic standpoint whose cost of maintenance throughout the year is going to be greater than what she's putting out for you so more than likely she's someone an individual probably needs to be called out and replaced with something that's more genetically compatible to that system and those fluctuations. Yeah, and I think the other thing, even though droughts are obviously very negative in terms of um, a ranching operation, I think it also provides a really good a snapshot into your ranch's sustainability. Absolutely. Because number one, and Matt can talk more about this, is your cows come in from a drought year. So we're entering what appears to be, will be a, a pretty good drought this coming year. So in September, October, when those cows are coming off the range, it allows an opportunity to evaluate your cattle in terms of their ability to perform in that. Because we probably should be managing for drought years rather than the normal years. Because number one, we don't really know what a normal year is. (laughs) Number two, they don't occur that often. And so by managing for the kind of the least common denominator, which is the drought year, um, but, but in addition to looking at our cattle, we can look at our range. And, and after a drought year, again, depending on severity, you know, if you have absolutely zero residual forage there, then you may start asking yourself, if I have no residual forage, that means my animals have consumed it all. Mm-hmm. And if they've left body condition score, then you'd have to ask yourself, is my grazing management compatible with this highly variable system? Meaning, have I just got too many animals on my range? Now, your permit may say you're permitted for that many animals, but then you have to make a decision, you know, based on economics and based on animal health, is it is it wise for me to run, you know, as many cows as my permit will allow or as I've run in the past? And so I think a drought provides a really nice opportunity even though there's a lot of negatives that come with it for you to kind of take a look back at your operation and say because that's when you're going to see holes in your management during the good years you know good rain makes good range managers and so it's it's during those drought years that you can really see the holes in your operation and i think too from uh i'm glad you brought up the drought year and the animal management thing because from a genetic component, a lot of times you'll see during the drought years, producers will say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cull my old cows and I'm gonna keep these younger cows in. Now, from a genetic standpoint, you would say, okay, my younger cows in theory are my best genetics, but your younger cows are also the, the ones that are probably least adapted to that system at that point. Your older cows that have been in that system multiple years are the ones that are able to thrive in that system and perform for you. Now, the heifers, the first calf heifers, you gotta remember those ones are are kind of the, the nightmare of beef production on the range because, you know, they have this huge growth requirement still. We've gotten them pregnant, now they're lactating, but they still have this growth requirement. 
So if you take those resources away during the drought year from those animals, they're the first ones to fall out. They're the ones that tend to have that high fluctuation in in body condition score. So if you're going to say, I'm going to cull all my older adapted cows that are still producing, you might be creating a bigger problem for yourself on the on the front end of that with those younger animals. Yes, they might be more genetically adapted, but you're not sure how they're going to how they're going to thrive in your system yet. They need to prove themselves like these older cows have. So you're suggesting there's some uncertainty in those unproven younger cows. Absolutely, because I think your older cows and I mean you could probably attest to this with some of your your grazing work. Those older cows nowhere to go, go go on that range to find you know the, the more highly desirable nutrient dense type feed and they know when to do it during the year so they've they figured out the system those younger cows yeah they'll learn from those older cows but you take those older cows out of the system and you just have younger cows i, I think you're creating a little bit of a problem for yourself there, there certainly is a, a lot of learned behavior around how to use how cows use the range that they pick up over time so, Dr. Garcia, I want to take a step back here, something that I missed earlier, and uh, Dr. Thacker brought this up. What are the key drivers of body condition score? I don't think we, we mentioned them briefly, but right. from your from your viewpoint, you know, what are those key drivers? Well, I think I think just like anything else, it's it's a big puzzle. So, if you're looking at the the drivers of you know from just a, a cow standpoint. You know, one thing that, that we did in our industry in the late 90s was we increased mature size of those animals. So you increase the mature size of an animal, you increase the nutrient demands of that animal. So if that animal is genetically predisposed to be a 1600 pound cow, it needs the forage out there to be a 1600 pound cow. If the forage isn't there, that just becomes a cull cow. Now, some of the other genetic components of this, obviously a big one is milk production. You know, that, that's something that's going to really cause body condition score to fluctuate because that cow has that huge energy requirement of keeping that calf alive. So she's going to allocate her resources and her fat resources to keeping that lactation up and keeping that calf alive. Now, what happens is I, I think a lot of people start selecting for milk and they say, if this cow milks more, she can produce a bigger calf. And there's truth to that. The problem is... Is she going to allocate all the resources that one time to milk to that genetic potential and then not breed again? Because if she does that, she raises you a nice big 700 pound calf this year, but doesn't breed again. You know, you got to divide the, the whatever you got for that calf in two because she's not paying for her groceries that second year. Now, so I think two of the big drivers of that, obviously, you got... You got the, the mature size, the milking ability. From a management standpoint, you know, something we deal with on a maybe not a high as a level here is, is parasite infestation. You know, what, what kind of parasite load is that is that that cow maintaining? You know, because if she has a huge parasite load, even if the forage is there, basically she's ingesting that forage, you're feeding worms, you're feeding parasites, you're not not all that's going to that cow. So, I mean, there, there's a number of factors there um, that are really going to drive that body condition score. You know, stage of production, obviously, you know, like I talked a little bit about earlier, if she's in that early gestation, she's going to be able to add body condition score. If the, the supplementation program is correct, the forest quality is good, you know, but the, the fact is in, in a rangeland setting, one of the major components to that body condition score fluctuation is after she calves. You know, because when we calve 
here in the Intermountain West, like we talked about in that other podcast, you know, forage quality and quantity at that time of the year isn't optimal. But her needs, nutrient needs, are the highest that, that we're going to see. So we're going to see that drop in body condition score if we're not supplementing correctly. And if we're supplementing correctly, a lot of time we have a huge economic investment in this. You know, and then we're right when forage starts picking up, we're asking her to rebreed. You know, but we've also just totally pummeled her with requirement, nutrient requirements. So, you know, we, we, we kind of, we, we talk a lot about this. And I think I, I, one of the things I enjoy about these podcasts is we talk about this as a system. You know, you can't look at this as genetics only, range only, economics only, nutrition only. Because by ignoring one of those components is, is when you're going to see those huge fluctuations in body condition scores. So I, I think there's a number of factors that contribute to it. But I think in order to really manage it, I think you need to be aware of all the factors and kind of be aware of how those factors are influencing that going forward. Dr. Thacker, you had mentioned, uh, you know, watching these cattle as they come off the range. That's kind of, in my opinion, that's kind of an end of season analysis, right? What about intra-season, right? As, as you, how would you approach that as, as you're watching this, this season play out, right? You know, I, we've, we visited with a weather company and they said for some crop production, there's 60 decisions that have to be made for a typical row crop during the year, right? And I'm guessing in cattle, right? That's probably very similar. So, so how would you attack or approach these decisions that need to be play, made during the year? Well, I think that's a good question, Ryan, and I'm, in some ways it's a little bit complex whether you're talking about public land or private land, because on public land, you often, um, your flexibility, you have less flexibility because it's prescriptive of when you will be in which pastures. Um, But I still think it allows you to spend time on your range with your cows, because again, I think even just riding through them, you know, obviously you're doing health checks on your cows and your calves, right? Making sure they're healthy and looking at body condition score, even, you know, midway through the season. Because the reality is right now is when we see them, or, you know, shortly after calving is when they generally lose the most body condition score. So if you're not seeing them replenish that body condition score now, <coughs> as they're moving into the rebreeding, it's not likely they're going to pick it up anywhere else. So this is kind of the prime time. So one, you can track... You know, what do my cows look like midway through the season? But in addition to that, you can look at your range because if your pastures are already showing signs of, of heavy use and, and, you know, again, it depends on if you have other pastures to go to, but, you know, just kind of generally doing an overall inventory of your forage. So if this pasture is showing, hey, I'm, I'm starting to, to wear thin on my forage here, do I have somewhere else to go? Because if you don't, then allowing your cows to stay in an area without any forage increases the likelihood that you'll see losses of score, body condition score. And then to compound that, you'll also <coughs> create, you know, potentially damage your rangeland, which ironically may take a year or two to, re- to replenish itself. Just like a cow that loses the body condition score, it may take her a couple of years to really catch back up. So these decisions have to be made but the, the consequences may be long-term. And so often I think there's a, an inherent, well, I'm just gonna hunker down and we'll get through this. Um, and understanding that may be your only option, but just recognize um, 
that the consequences of that decision may play out, you know, a couple of years into the future. Meaning that just because we get normal rain the following year doesn't mean that that range will immediately respond. Now, some years it does, and other years, uh, research has shown that it takes a couple of years for that, for each production to catch back up to kind of pre-drought condition. And so there's a balancing act, <coughs> excuse me, and there's no silver bullet here. A lot of it, this is the, when we talk about range management, we talk about it as an art and a science. And so the science is, you know, you have to take care of your grass and you have to take care of your forage base. The art is exactly how you, you manage that and a lot of it takes experience on the ground knowing your animals knowing your range um, and being able to recognize signs of overuse and and then making this good decisions on what to do when you see those signs begin to show up and i think i, I liked what you talked about there you know man kind of monitoring your body condition scores throughout the entire season it, it kind of goes back to what dr larson was talking about in the the 60 points of management because if you're man, if you're monitoring that body condition score throughout the season it, it allows you to be proactive in your management okay my my range on this pasture isn't good i'm seeing my cows decrease slightly maybe i need to move them maybe i need to uh, change my supplementation program and i think you know being that proactive you know it's it's much more in my mind, and maybe I'm, you can probably touch on this, it's probably more economically feasible to address that body condition score when it's when you notice that initial drop rather than saying, okay, I've lost three body condition scores. I need to rectify this in 60 days. Because 60 days of immediate feeding is probably pretty costly. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, as a, as a rancher, as you look at your, your number one resource, which is your forage, Right? Because in a lot of sense, ranchers are forage producers. Mm-hmm. I mean, and cattle just happen to, to feed on it. But, you know, one, one tool that we've used in business is a SWOT analysis. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think, I think there's application in range as well, right? What are the strengths of your range? What are your weaknesses? Uh, are, there, are there opportunities for additional and threats, right? In a drought year, there's a threat on your resource. What are your options? And, and right. if you can be proactive and think ahead and strategically think about your resources, your forage resources, and, and I think that's key, like you say, Dr. Garcia, is being proactive. Because, right, if you wait too long, the economic implications of that right. could be detrimental. Could be game over for an operation versus a, a speed bump. And I, and I mean, from a production standpoint, I would, I would argue if you're trying to rapidly increase that body condition score, more than likely, you're not going to see the productivity of that animal after that investment. Yeah, they might change, but it's not going to be as productive as – you're not going to recoup that cost. Yeah. So <clears throat> this part of the conversation reminds me of um, some research that's been done clear back into the 50s that showed – by, you know, range management has basically been advocating since the 40s and 50s that you manage for a drought year in every year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that means moderate stocking so that in the in the good years, you may not, the way this plays out is in the good years, you may not be able to capture all the additional forage that's produced in a good or above normal year. But the other side of the coin is, is that in the drought year, you're not going to lose as much. And so you're kind of choosing you know you're threading the needle through the middle part of that versus trying to ride that wave which is almost impossible because we can't predict with a surety what markets are going to do or what you know what uh precipitation is going to look like across the course of the summer and so you're often 
in range management, beef production, you're often making decisions now that have implications a year or two down the road. And so it's not, you know, once you've got the train headed down the tracks, it's not like you can quickly change, right? Because mm-hmm. you've chosen breed dates, you've chosen your range plan, you've, you've right. these things are all set in motion. And so you kind of have to, you know, dance with the girl you brought. You can't switch halfway through. And so you're kind of stuck. And so that's, it goes back to Dr. Larson's point, you, you know, really being strategic in your planning into the future, thinking of these situations that increase your exposure to risk, you know, drought, fluctuations in market, um, you know, disease outbreaks, those types of things, um, I think are just good to, you know, have part of your planning process uh, rather than just hoping that we have a normal year or above average year. Um, A lot of just me eyeballing precipitation patterns around the state, it looks like about one in six is a drought year. or below normal, whatever normal is. But my point is, is it's it's very common that in a 10-year stretch, you should expect to have one of those 10, one out of those 10 years being uh, a year that's gonna cause you to alter your management plan based upon drought. Yeah, so I think, you know, like you said, especially in, in Utah, right? Managing for drought should be a key strategy because it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think as part of your risk management strategy, you always have to have that in the back of your mind is, is how do we manage through that? Well, I guess from an economic standpoint, what, what is the impact of not managing for drought in Utah? Uh, <laughs> right. So you think of some of the implications. So you run out of feed. What are your what are your options on the range? You know, public range is really our key to our competitive advantage. Right because it's cheap feed. We run out of that. What are our options? We can go find private pasture, which is gonna be extremely expensive if we can find it. Especially right. during a drought year. During right. a drought year, we, we can buy hay. That's gonna, right? That just took us where those cows are not gonna be making us any money. Send them to a feedlot in the Midwest? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so so your options are, if you have the resource, you have extra pasture available, right? But. But most of the time, the options are you're you're going to end up losing money mm-hmm. just because you're not going to be able to recover those costs right. of, of switching over. So the economics are to be proactive and 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 there's always risk, right? This is we we've seen so much risk. 2020 has turned out to be <laughs> right. Who <laughs> aren't fire? Right? And so I think 2020 might just be a let's just get through this year in survival mode here, right? right. But. Uh, Still thinking proactively, I think, is, is kind of the key takeaway I'm getting from both of you as, as we think about body condition score, genetics. You know, Dr. Garcia and I talked about bull, the, the decision of, of your bull, right? That's a multi-year decision. Everything we're talking about is multi-year. Unlike some other industries, the decisions we make this year have implications for multiple years. And it's a holistic consideration, too, because that one decision is going to affect every other aspect of your production system. Yeah. Yep. So, well, any any last thoughts? Uh, so, just just one parting comment is, we recognize that these are incredibly complex decisions that are, you know, have to be adapted, and you know, each operation has its own unique set of limitations and advantages. You know, so I'd hope as you listen to this, you don't think we necessarily gave you all the answers, but just gave you things to think about to help you find the answers because. 
Um, these systems, you know, the ranching operations here in, in a highly variable climate like we experience with low productive rangelands, it, it's a nuanced system and it takes some finesse. And so I guess our hope is we're just here to help you find the answers that you need. So let us know if you have any additional questions. No, that's a great point. And that's, you know, if there's anything we can do to help out, right? Because uh, I think between the three of us, we can help answer a lot of questions. We may not have all the right answers, but... But, you know, if we can help producers think through some of these issues, right? Because you're right, these are so complex. Uh, ranchers, you know, often you think of, oh, they're just, you know, they're raising cattle, but they're balancing so many different right. facets of their operation that it is extremely complex. Well, and I think a misnomer that often gets thrown around is that there's a there's a successful recipe, you know. Oh, yeah. That this is a cook, you know, you can cookbook these operations. And, <laughs> um, over the course of my career, it never ceases to amaze me of the complexity of each individual operation based on, you know, how many deeded acres, how many irrigated acres, yeah. how, you know, what the range looks like. Do they the have winter range? You know, so there's not one operation that functions like everybody else, meaning that everybody has to adapt to their situation. So our hope here is to just to throw out basically a bunch of ideas that hopefully, you know, individuals can pick up and say, well, this can work and this is how I can do this. You know, I hope this isn't construed as we've got an answer for. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very specific <clears throat> for each producer and its implementation or non-implementation. You know, like, like we talk a lot about, you know, there might be some things that are very applicable to one operation that are completely no-goes, no deal breakers for another operation. So, you know, I think evaluating the, the specifics of it for your operation and how you can implement, not implement, modify, implement, you know, is, is, is essential going forward. But being proactive and how you're thinking about it is essential, I think, for everyone. Thank you. Been a good podcast. Uh, as always, please contact any one of us. If you have further questions, comments, uh, if there's topics you'd like us to address in the future, please just let us know.